The Lord's Prayer is a sacred thing. On the rare occasion that I have messed it up in a worship service, either getting the words wrong or accidentally skipping over it altogether, you can be sure that I heard about it later. It's a source of comfort and power for Christians all over the world. And given that Jesus taught us the very words, it is an almost sacramental quality. It's not something to be trifled with. And this is the text where Jesus teaches his disciples these words. Hallowed be thy name. Now this was more radical than it seems as much of Jesus' teachings were because it suggested that an individual could go directly to God outside the confines of communal worship, something that was not especially common in Jewish culture in ancient times. Jesus suggests that you don't need to be a mystic to commune with God, to submerge oneself in powers that we can scarcely comprehend. Even you, who are evil, as Jesus offhandedly remarks in this text, can pray. And that's all well and good, but what most people want to know is, how does prayer work? Does it even work at all? Our reading today is from Luke, chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. And if you enjoy pictures with your Bible verses, you can look at the Lord's Prayer on pages 278 to 281 in the Spark Story Bible in the pews. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Creator, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us and do not bring us to the time of trial. And Jesus said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread for a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, do not bother me. The door has already been locked and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him what he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will you give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Please pray with me. 
Everlasting God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you. And may they be in keeping always with the teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You know, I don't really get many opportunities to impress my children. Uh, I'm not a great athlete or a firefighter or a soldier or a superhero or any of the kinds of things that most little boys would look up to or aspire to. But as a clergyman, I do have one thing going for me in their imagination. Wielding an assortment of crosses, oils, and prayers, they seem to think that I can protect them from demons and monsters and other spooky things that go bump in the night. I never wanted their burgeoning faith to hinge on magical thinking or parlor tricks. When my oldest son, Ethan, was still a toddler, we used to pray together every night before going to sleep, giving thanks for our blessings and lifting up people in need. But one day he decided that He'd had enough of it, and he was over it, and he refused to keep up the practice. He was probably about three years old. Um, <laughs> I didn't want to force him, you know, thereby creating this negative association with prayer. Uh, so I let it go for a while, I just kind of see how things develop. But as he got a little bit older, he started to get afraid of sleeping by himself, afraid of the dark, that sort of thing. So I saw an opportunity to reintroduce him to prayer and maybe show off a little in the process. This is what I do for a living, you know. <laughs> I'd tell him, trying to sound tough like some kind of spiritual bounty hunter. I know a thing or two about evil spirits. Why don't we say a prayer together? And so we did, and I felt pretty smart because I'd gotten him to start praying again. But after a few days, the prayers weren't enough. Isn't there something else we can do, he asked me, just to make sure it's really working. I thought about that for a bit, and I, I took the cross off my neck and uh, told him that he could hold on to it while he slept, that it would protect him from anything unnatural. And uh, that worked for a couple weeks until he started asking if I didn't have any other tricks up my sleeve. So I went down to the kitchen and I got the extra virgin olive oil and made the sign of the cross on his head and gave him a blessing to help him feel safe. And divorced from any liturgical context, it felt like I was casting a spell. And I wonder if it seemed that way to him, too. I worry a little that I'm sending the wrong message with all of this, that I'm teaching my son to think of faith as a kind of magic, like all those people in Jesus' time who got so caught up in his miracles that they never bothered to listen to what he was actually teaching or saying. I worry that he thinks prayer is strictly a matter of results, a question of whether it works in the scientific sense. But if prayer works, then it works in mysterious ways. And for all of my bedtime posturing as an expert on the subject, friends, I haven't the slightest idea of how it works. It'd be easy for me to stand up here and tell you why prayer is important, why it matters. I could tell you that it helps us to listen for God's whisper and God's will for us. I could tell you that praying for other people helps us to take the focus 
off of ourselves for a while, to get outside of our own ego. I can tell you that conversations like God, much like the people in our lives, are what helps to sustain that relationship. And all of those things are absolutely true. Prayer helps us to listen. It helps us to consider the needs of others and to build a strong relationship with God. But what most people I talk to really want to know is, does it work? This is especially true of intercessory prayer, the kind of prayer where we ask God for something. And this is what Jesus is talking about in the Gospel of Luke. And that's the kind that I want to focus on today. Does it work? Now, first things first, and this probably goes without saying, but asking for material wealth and that sort of thing seems to be off the table. None of the examples that Jesus gives in this text, asking for one's daily bread or relief from suffering or for God's will to be done and known, none of these have anything to do with material gain. I'm pretty sure prayers don't help you to find parking spaces either or influence the outcome of sporting events. God is not a genie in a lamp, though we might find ourselves blessed in unexpected ways. Prayers are often answered, but not always in the way that we'd intended or hoped for. There's a story about an old woman who lived alone with her cat who found an antique lamp in her attic. And she rubbed the dust off and a genie emerged, promising to grant her three wishes. Well, that's easy, she said. First of all, I'd like to be young and beautiful again. And I want more money that I know what to do with. Done, the genie replied, and it was. She was young and beautiful and surrounded by thick stacks of cash. That's two wishes, the genie said. What is your final wish? Well, I may be a little old-fashioned, she said, but I want you to turn this grumpy old cat of mine into a handsome prince. And the genie snapped his fingers and where that old cat was sitting, there now stood a tall, broad-shouldered man with long, raven-black hair and muscular physique. And he strolled over to her, and he caressed her cheek, and he whispered in her ear, Now aren't you sorry that you had me neutered? <laughs> that's not a dirty joke, that's a cat joke. Now, sometimes prayers are answered in unexpected ways, but according to Jesus, they are answered. He tells this story about a man who wakes his neighbor up in the middle of the night, pounding on the door and asking for a favor. I can relate to this one, given the way my youngest son will often pound on the bedroom door in the middle of the night, demanding to be let in. And Jesus says that the petitioner will succeed if he is persistent enough in asking but if we look at the original Greek text, the word here that's translated as persistence is an idea which is less like persistence and closer to something like shamelessness or a sort of lack of regard for socially accepted behavior. And I think what Jesus means to say here is that prayer is not a conventional dialogue. It, it doesn't adhere to social norms or cultural expectations. 
Our prayers don't have to be proper or polite. They can be raw, honest, raging, and a desperate, fierce pounding on the door instead of a gentle ringing of the doorbell. And Jesus says that if we pray shamelessly, that God will bless us with the Holy Spirit. Now, it doesn't say that God will satisfy every demand or heal every illness or give us the thing we ask for. He says that God will give us the Holy Spirit. But what does that mean? We're treading in mysterious waters here. Like I said before, I don't know how prayer works or why some prayers appear to be answered and others seem to go unheard. Jesus never gets into the mechanics of prayer, the science of it. He doesn't say how it works, only that it does. In the Jewish mystical tradition, there's a beautiful understanding of prayer. It's said that each day our prayers are collected by the angel Sandalphon, and that Sandalphon weaves these prayers, each and every one, into a gigantic crown. And then Sandalphon utters the secret name of God over the crown and sends it beyond all known universes to the throne of God. And as the crown draws closer to the heavenly throne, which is often depicted as a kind of wheeled chariot in Kabbalistic literature, the wheels of the throne begin to shake, sending currents throughout all of creation and beyond. And this motion, this vibration, is what sustains the universe. And all of it comes down to our prayers. Like much of religious mythology, it's a compelling way to describe something that we can't really hope to understand. But it's interesting, you know, it also has a, a scientific corollary in modern string theory, which argues that matter is sustained by a series of these vibrating strings, not unlike a note is sustained by the vibration of a guitar string. Not that I know much about string theory or any other kind of theoretical physics, it's a little beyond me. Back in college, I had this one course. It was a combination of um, meteorology and rudimentary physics. And it was a total disaster. You know, uh, None of it made a bit of sense to me. If I'd been studying some eldritch manuscript from another dimension, I'd have been no worse off. The math was like nothing I'd seen before. The concepts, alien. I completely failed that portion of the class, although I did manage to uh, scrape a passing grade out of the meteorology professor after a PowerPoint presentation about cumulus clouds that resemble famous celebrities. <laughs> it's true, I don't really understand how most things in this universe function mechanically. I'm not an engineer or a scientist or a doctor, but scientists and doctors don't always know how things work either. There's a great deal of mystery and unknown territory in this universe. For instance, the drug acetaminophen was first synthesized in 1873. Pharmacologists didn't recognize its medical potential for another 20 years. They didn't, getting around, didn't get around to putting it on the market uh, until 1955 under the brand name of Tylenol. But it might surprise you to know that we still don't really understand how it works. We just know that it does. There's a lot about this universe we still don't understand. It's 
It's widely believed by mystics and scientists alike that there are energies at work, moving silently in the spaces between the building blocks of creation. There are practices, healing arts like acupuncture and Reiki healing that try to tap into these forces. And there are whole fields of science dedicated to understanding them, the studies of quantum mechanics and astrophysics. Scientists speculate that 68% of the physical universe is comprised of what they call dark energy. Another 27% comprised of dark matter. Only 5% of the physical universe accounts for everything we know, the earth, the stars, everything that we can perceive. Now, I don't want to conflate science and religion too closely, but might it be possible that prayer is another way of influencing these mysterious energies? That maybe the Holy Spirit is part of that energy, that vibration that sustains creation. The Jedi Master Obi-Wan Kenobi famously described the Force as an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us and penetrates us. It binds the galaxy together. But to quote someone more credible, I refer to you Dr. Eric Elness, a well-regarded pastor and theologian who has written about this very subject. And he likens prayer to a kind of quantum entanglement, the phenomenon whereby particles become mysteriously bound together over large distances and begin behaving in tandem with one another. When I think of praying for someone, Elness writes, I imagine it as a form of quantum entanglement. When we pray for each other, we become entangled with them and them with us. Perhaps we all become entangled in God as well. My hunch, he concludes, is that one day we will understand intercessory prayer as a mechanism by which we subtly move energy or change its characteristics. Einstein famously called this entanglement spooky action at a distance. And that's not a, way, uh, a bad way to describe prayer, either. There is something spooky, something uncanny, something mysterious about the way it all seems to work. When we shamelessly pour ourselves out before God, God pours something back into us, the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean? Well, it takes many forms. I have seen it at work. Sometimes it's the kind of grace that heals wounds between enemies, or a deep comfort in the midst of one's struggles, a peace that defies all understanding. It could be an epiphany, or a calling, or an inexplicable coincidence. Sometimes it happens in the moment of prayer, like a still, small voice within us. And other times it comes later, delivered by an unlikely emissary. I don't know how it works. I only know that it does. A couple of years ago, I have to confess, I was having a really bad night. I honestly don't recall what I was struggling with at the time. I just remember that something really hard was going on at work and things were tense at home and I was just completely overwhelmed. I've told you before that I struggle with depression and melancholy and these tend to be exacerbated by stress. And as I was putting my son, Ethan, to bed that night, I just wanted to cry. And being an observant child, he asked me, are you all right, Dad? 
No, I said quietly. It was all I could muster. I'm going to pray for you, he said, so that you'll feel better. Doesn't really work that way, kiddo, I sighed, but go on ahead. And my boy prayed for me that night, closing his eyes and folding his little hands and asking God to take care of me and help me. And God is my witness, I tell you something happened. Not in that moment, but when I woke up in the morning for no particular reason, I felt more clear-headed than I had in weeks. And in that clarity, I thought about the night before. And I decided that I never wanted to feel that way again. Whereas before, it had been forced on me with a terrible weight, suddenly the melancholy felt like a choice. Like I could choose to see the world differently, more beautifully than I had before. Like my eyes were open and there was a crossroads in front of me. It was like someone had opened all the windows and a fresh cleansing breeze had come in. I'm, I'm trying to describe something that I can't really explain or put into words. When he tried to pray for me, I told Ethan that it doesn't really work that way. As if I were the expert on prayer that I'd always tried to make him believe I was. But in truth, friends, I am no expert. I don't know how prayer works. I just know that it does. Amen.